Welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan. And this time I am not joined by the lads, but I've called in a ringer. My good friend Kevin O'Carroll has graciously accepted my offer to join me on this episode of podcast to talk about Bloodborne. Kev, welcome to Hey Look Listen. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Is this a dream come true? It is. It's pretty much all of my dreams come true at once. All at once. Is it, is it overwhelming? It is. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure I'll get through it. Like it's kind of a long time listener, first time caller situation, isn't it? Because like you're like a fan. I'm. I'm just. I have to take this opportunity to say you're one of the few people who's listened to every episode. <laughs> I just. I, I'm just excited by that. That's all. Yeah, I think my my lifelong dream was to be one of the callers on an episode of Frasier. So I think this is about as close <laughs> as I'm going to get. Did you just call me Frasier? I, I said as close as I'm going to get. That is lovely. The reason I called you in. I asked you to do this is like you know because you're a good friend of mine and you know a lot about video games obviously but usually when I do episodes um either with the lads or by myself it's it's about games that I have had decades <laughs> to ruminate about you know that have been on my mind for ages that I know a lot about like Final Fantasy Zelda Metal Gear whatever Bloodborne despite being I think seven years old this year I first played it like two weeks ago three weeks ago so I am late to Bloodborne uh, it's not it's not something I've been like playing and loving and thinking about for the last seven years. I'm just into this. And I wanted to call you in because you're like a big fan, right? This is like one of your favorite games and has been for the last few years, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I actually came to Bloodborne late as well, although comparatively earlier than you, probably wouldn't been 2018 or so. Um, actually, interestingly, the first time I played a soulsborne game in general would have been in the front room of your house liam which i believe is a a prerequisite to be on the podcast isn't it (laughs) yeah you've got to get in here and you're like you get you get a stamp on your our tattoo you get a tattoo that that, that makes you eligible for halo when did you play a soulsborne in my house i think it must have been like 2015 or so i think we played dark souls on your ps3 jesus did we yeah i do have dark souls on the ps3 i completely forgot it because i have it on the switch as well yeah I think we played for about 10 minutes and then collectively agreed that it wasn't for us. Yeah. Oh, how young, young, sweet summer children we were. Was that the same? Actually, was that the same that we played Dead Space and the Metal Gear Solid where you're riding with the sword? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I have no memory of playing Dark Souls, (laughs) which at that time it must have have just turned my back on it immediately. Yeah, we got outshone by the classic Metal Gear Rising Revenge and then then it's not a good sign. That game was cool, though. You could, uh, you could like, Control your sword with analog stick and cut things precisely. Yeah. We should be doing an episode about that. Add that to the list. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into Bloodborne, um, which is um, you know my latest obsession, which is why I want to do an episode, and I just have a little bit of just data of what the game is. You know, you mm-hmm. have you know how this works. You you listen, man. You you you're a fan. Right? Yeah. Okay, Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bloodborne is a 2015 action role-playing game developed by From Software and published by Sony Computer Entertainment for the PlayStation 4. Bloodborne follows the player's character, a hunter, through a decrepit Gothic Victorian-era-inspired city called Yarnum, whose inhabitants are afflicted with bloodborne disease. Attempting to find the source of the plague, the player's character unravels the city's mysteries while fighting beasts and cosmic beings. And I think fighting beasts and cosmic beings is like... That's the main thing about Bloodborne, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think <laughs> it is. The, um, the combat is kind of front and center, the design of the whole game, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, actually, as well, like, as we said, this is a first game in a franchise, but technically it's kind of a spiritual successor. It's a, there's a type of game that's all made by the same company, made by the same man. Uh, and they're kind of now known as Soulsborne games. So kind of Bloodborne comes from Dark Souls and Demon Souls. I think it's the fourth one that was made, right? Uh, yeah, will be the fourth one. And it was a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Um, actually, I know the story behind that. Uh, Demon Souls, the first game, was originally supposed to be a PlayStation exclusive, but um, someone had, had some high up at Sony like played it and literally said, this game is crap. And, and 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 refused to publish it. So Namco Bandai ended up buying the rights to it or whatever and publishing it. And then all the years later, when that franchise, uh, because of Dark Souls, mostly became a huge success, Sony literally came back with the From Software with their tail between the legs and were really like, can you make a game exclusive for us? We're sorry we called your game crap. And that ended up being Bloodborne. Was it a launch game for the PlayStation 4 or was it 
Hmm. That's a good question. I it was think thereabouts, right? Thereabouts. It was. It would have been March 2015. It's actually nearly seven years, like this week, maybe. I did that on purpose. Obviously, yeah, no, I didn't. I I didn't know that. I didn't know it came out in March. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it definitely was very early in the lifespan of the PS4, and it would have been definitely a strong system seller for it at that point. Well, I, can I can I blow your socks off here? I played this game for the first time two weeks ago, and I have no trouble declaring it probably my favorite game on the PlayStation 4. Oh. Like, this is genuinely a new obsession for me. I completely fed head over heels for this game, and I resisted it for so long. For so long. And, like, you're, you were telling me to play it, and Dark Souls, and the other games. Um, I have other friends who were telling me to play it. But what happened was I played... Dark Souls twice. I played it on the PS3 and I played it on the Switch when it got re-released. Uh, my girlfriend Fiona got it for me as a birthday present because I really wanted to. I really wanted to get into it, and I just bounced off it. I remember like telling you, I was just like complaining about it, yeah, because I just didn't like. I, I was so brutally difficult, which is what it's famous for. But also, that game begins and you're just in like a really drab environment fighting skeletons, and I just found it. I found the setting so boring, and I know this is sacrilegious to so many people. But I just didn't want to be in it, and I remember. And, and and another thing, that game is so celebrated. Like, remember when the decade ended, and like so many publications were doing their best games of the decade, and everyone was like, Dark Souls was always there, and I felt kind of bitter that I, I wasn't getting it. Yeah. And and when I turned it off, I actually remember saying, I never want to play this game again. <laughs> I, I actually I actually said, I don't want to be in this game fighting these skeleton men. I, it's yeah. probably amazing after that, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to get there. Yeah, I remember talking to you about it at the time and like talking to you about which bits you were struggling with and like starting to offer advice. And you kind of just stopped me and went like, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> and I was like, I respect that. Okay. So yeah. tell me, Liam, what, what changed for you? What prompted you to pick up Bloodborne the two or three weeks ago? I was playing a very story-driven game. I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn. I wanted to play it on the lead up to the release of um horizon forbidden west because i never played horizon and i didn't connect with horizon zero dawn as much as i wanted and it was nothing to do with the game i just realized i wasn't in the mood for something really story driven i wanted i know do you know when you get in that mood for a game you want something tactile you want an immediate gratification i wanted something i don't know how to describe it buttony and actiony yeah and i just remember scrolling through the playstation store and seeing bloodborne and its dlc on the thing for like 20 quid and i was just like is this, am I doing this? Is this the time? Am I finally going to play Bloodborne? Because this game has been hanging over for me for years. I, I put it beside like the Witcher 3 of games of the last generation that I just like missed and I feel like shunned because I yeah. haven't played them. So I finally played it. And in all the ways that I bounced off Dark Souls, I somehow, Bloodborne just completely flicked with me. As soon as I started playing it, it, complete, it, completely, it completely flicked. I did the setting, the gameplay. Yeah. The um the sort of the, the theming and the visual presentation of it is just leagues ahead of what they've done with the Dark Souls games. The do, sort of do you think so? Do you think it's that you you dramatically prefer it? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm not sure if I dramatically prefer Bloodborne, the game, as opposed to Dark Souls, because Dark Souls does get a lot more interesting the further into it you get. But um, in terms of the setting, like Yarnum is just way more interesting particularly a place to start that's our central Yarnum area as compared to the, as you put it, the drab surroundings and boring skeletons of Dark Souls. Just find skelly men. That's yeah. all you're doing. That's all you're doing at the beginning of Dark Souls. But yeah. Sometimes I've, they do a roly-poly. That's interesting, isn't it? They do a roly-poly and they poke you with a spear. And sometimes they're standing on walls and they shoot you with bows. And I, I remember literally saying I could be playing any game other than Dark Souls right now. I was so bitter at the time. So <laughs> so bitter. Yeah. But um, Yarnum, the setting of Bloodborne, like... I, I actually kind of have imposter syndrome talking about this game because I feel like people have probably been saying these things for years, but I'm so new to this uh, kind of fandom, this franchise. But Yarnum surely is one of gaming's greatest settings of all time. It's so good immediately. It's this Victorian city that's been like all its inhabitants are be- turning turning into monsters, and it's just so it's it's so darkly beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. could pause that game at any point and you'd have like a bitch and album cover. For sure, yeah. It's um, and it gets progressively weirder and yeah. more interesting as the game draws on as well. Yeah, just just the whole vibe of it from the start of the game, like you said, like all any NPC you meet, 
you talk through a window or a door. They're all like locked inside. It just feels like such a imposing setting to be in it. it like because this game is famous for its difficulty, and it is the enemies hit hard. It and it requires a lot of skill, but Yarnum itself is just such an unnerving place to be in. It's just so unpleasant, but kind of just incredibly memorable. Yeah, for sure. And then sort of as the game goes on, you kind of explore the surroundings, and it, and it does get stranger. You it's all Lovecraftian. Yeah, exactly. It, it it kind of it does a bit of a rug pull almost, or if you go into it without knowing about it, that you think that you're in this sort of Bram Stoker or Mary Shelley type gothic horror story in this Victorian setting, and then like there's a beat and it changes and all of a sudden there's brains with eyes hanging off walls and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, at the beginning of the game, you're, you're fighting like spindly werewolves. And then by the end of it, you're fighting fucking aliens or something like little blue alien dudes, <laughs> you know, and people with gigantic jellyfish heads and stuff like that. Uh, so you mentioned the difficulty there, Liam, um, oh, oh. and you mentioned it in terms of dark souls as well. And I know it's kind of, it's the oldest conversation in video games at this point is that, you know, from soft games are hard, but I'm just wondering, how did you find the difficulty of it when you picked it up in that sort of opening area? Did you find it as imposing as the start of Dark Souls and you pushed through because you liked the setting? Or do you think it was sort of better better ramped up? It's it's weird because one of the and Bloodborne's reputation is that it really throws you into the deep end and has a really punishing beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually didn't find... I didn't. I'm not saying I found it easy. Far from it. But I didn't find it quite as difficult as um, Dark Souls. I kind of, I kind of jived with it very quickly. I kind of have a history playing kind of combat-heavy games like Devil May Cry and Bayonetta, and this isn't them. Yeah. But there's similar things in its DNA. I think, I, I, from what I know now, I haven't played um, the other From Software games um, at length, except for the latest one, Elden Ring, which I'm currently playing. But isn't one of the different the differentiating things with Bloodborne is that it gets rid of kind of shields and defending, and it's all about speed and movement. And I just I, I found that like really natural to me. Like it's it's all about dodge rolling attacks and timing. And I, for me, that just clicked. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe a part of why people found Bloodborne difficult at launch is because of that, because people coming to it from. Uh, the Dark Souls games or Demon Souls were used to turtling up behind the shield, being able to block hits, <laughs> being able to tank, and it's just not an option in Bloodborne. Like you have to be moving at all times, and then you also have the um, the rally mechanic, which is one of my favorite mechanics in any of the games that that, yeah. that FromSoft have done. Wherein, when you take a hit, your health bar goes down, but it kind of stays just a little bit for a couple of seconds, and if you can damage an enemy quickly enough, you get some of that health back. So it promotes this really aggressive, frantic playstyle, where in previous games, you'd be turtling up behind your shield, trying to find a moment to drink a potion, get your health back up. In Bloodborne, you're just guns out, going straight forward, trying to claw back whatever you can, you know? Yeah, do you know what it reminded me of? Um, Doom 2016. Big time, yeah. In, 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 that, in Doom, you're kind of... Um made to play aggressively and you need to get right up in enemies faces but in it's got to kind of if you kill enemies with melee and stuff like that you get held back so rather than kind of cowering from enemies you need to get all up in their face you got to be brave but doom like it's it's doom like you play the doom slayer and by the end of it you have a huge arsenal of like ridiculous guns and stuff and that game has like rock music playing that game everything in that game's design is kind of spurring you on it's imbuing you with confidence you feel so brittle in Bloodborne, you yeah. feel you feel so helpless that the fact that you know you have to play aggressively, and that is one of my favorite things about the game and the combat, and I think it's why it's so good because the combat I don't think is spectacular in in terms of you know it, it, how kind of malleable and complicated it is. It's not like yeah. like I mentioned Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. There's no kind of well, there's some, but there's many like button combos and things you can like master, you know, stuff like that. But it yeah. is all the the systems that build it are just so perfectly made and. You have to have courage, which I think is really good. Or kind of like in a, in a less wankery way, you have to have, you have to play, you have to be confident. Yeah. So you sure. are really brittle, but like you said, like that, it's summed up by that rallying system. Like if you take a hit, if you get right back at that enemy and hit him straight away, you can gain that health back. So despite the fact that you feel helpless, the game promotes you to you know be brave, and I love yeah. it. It's it's really exhilarating. It's really frustrating because it's so difficult, but the combat is just 
really like exhilarating and really, really well made. Yeah, and you mentioned confidence there. And I think that's exactly it. That's kind of the feeling that they want to instill in you in the combat. Because you compare it to games like your Bayonetta's or your Devil May Cry's, your, your sort of frantic action games. In those games, if you launch into a big combo, you can bail out at any time. You know, you can dodge, you can get out of the way. In Bloodborne, if you commit to swing the weapon, you can't cancel out of that animation. <laughs> you know? You've made your choice. <laughs> yeah. Particularly if you're using one of the heavier weapons or something, it can be it, long animations and there's no invulnerability frames during them. Like if you get hit while swinging the weapon, you won't land your hit and you will take damage. So you have to learn your opponent, learn your own skill set, know when to take your attacks. So there's that thing of trying to build the confidence in the knowledge of how you play it. And then that's in a sort of a direct opposition to the aggression that they want you to show where, you know, you have to use the rally mechanic to get your health back. And there's this constant tension between the two of trying to play cleverly, but trying to play aggressively at the same time. And when it works, when it clicks, it's incredible. Like something I said to you before, Liam, is I think it's the game where I've been least aware that I have a controller in my hand. Right, yeah, it's, that all kind so, of that old kind of stereotype is like you forget you're playing a game. Yeah, but it's it, it's so direct, such a physical connection, like that you're just absolutely tearing away and usually dying, but then every now and then you're not, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, one of the best lessons um, I, I kind of I had heard this before, and I think it's one one of the ways I slipped easily into into Bloodborne. I'm glad I kind of knew this is you need to not treat death like a failure. You're yep. going to die. It's a part of it. And like you just said, it's about learning from your mistakes and getting better. And to do that, you do have to die. And I think there's definitely players out there who wouldn't jive with that idea of kind of maybe they might find it repetitive, but mm. that kind of your own arc, you feel yourself getting better at that game. You know, the more you die, the more like you're, you're going back to a checkpoint and you're repeating things, but you can feel yourself getting better and more confident and it completely works yeah and i think the the level design is a big part of that as well oh it's think, it's, it's I, fantastic it's it's a plus yeah i think the, the the way the areas are laid out and the way the enemies are positioned within it are truly excellent it's it could be somewhat, nefarious as well though some really nefarious yeah. enemy placements like why did you put an enemy there you know why did you just fucking jump yeah. out at me <laughs> yeah but what i'll say is that none of that is there by accident you know no the, no the, from soft are very deliberately trying to teach you something with every single one of those little cheap enemies that com- comes out from behind a corner. And what they're teaching you is to just expect something at all times. Be vigilant. Be vigilant, yeah, which just creates more of the tension, you know? Yeah. I always talk about um, Insomniac's uh, Spider-Man game for me as just being... Sorry, I'm really con- I, I really just uh, sidestepped into something completely different. I always talk about it as like the avatar of a really good game really well-made game that's slightly boring you know it's slightly kind of uninspiring in its design sure. in a lot of ways i'm not i'm not shitting on it i really like that game but i'm, I'm just trying to illustrate a point to that of what you said um i played that game recently last year for the first time and as much as i enjoyed it i think i was just lounging in a neutral position the entire time with a, like a neutral neutral expression on my face yeah when i played bloodborne i was sitting bolt up i was sitting up straight completely engaged completely absorbed and i love that a game can do that i love that it was just, it's just me in the game and completely focused and you have to like pay attention you have to learn and that's the kind of thing i wanted to ask you about this game it's not games are for relaxation or are they it's not a relaxing game do you do, do you think people would be turned off by the fact that it's like you can't chill out after a long day's work and play bloodborne or can you that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, I would play Bloodborne after a long day's work, and I would maybe tell myself that I was chilling out. <laughs> and my partner Sarah would probably have to leave the room. <laughs> That's another thing as well. Like I, I live with my girlfriend Fiona, and like this game is so aggressively difficult that I just became that shithead boyfriend stereotype, the one who's not paying attention to their girlfriend and just yelling at a game. You know, and I, I kind of, that's one thing I hated Bloodborne for is that it, it turned me, because I'm, I don't know, I want to big myself up. I, I'm relatively chill and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't get in bad moods uh, over games. You know, I had a neighbor in the last house I lived in in Ireland and I could hear him play video games. I knew it was a game. 
it was either a game or domestic abuse because he was just <laughs> fucking screaming at the fucking game. I bet it was FIFA or something, but I'm not that person. But Bloodborne, for bits, made me that person, man. I was fuming sitting on the <laughs> sitting on the couch, and, and and sometimes when you get to like a boss that you just can't, just can't beat him, and you just kind of get that. I don't have to like explain it to you. You know, that hollow anger in your stomach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was telling, I was trying to recommend it to my brother because I think he'd love it. And yeah. he, and that's what he said. He was like, I, you know, I work five days a week. I come home, I play comfort games. I relax, you know? And I was like, I completely, and it's such a valid excuse to not want to play it. But playing Bloodborne actually made me like, this is, this is a big, <laughs> I don't know, this big grand sweeping statement. It made me think to myself, why am I playing video games to relax? Why am I playing comfort video games where I kind of sit there for, 20 hours and just kind of you know not live life when i could play something like this and it's so engaging it's so engaging and uh, like i it just made me like it made it, it inspired me it's it, it, it's a perfect example of why i love video games it's just great game design yeah for sure and, and listen don't get me wrong i mean obviously there's there's room in the world for all types of games your minecrafts your animal no, crossings you started there isn't. It's okay. oh shit did that change <laughs> oh i never got the memo if you're asking me if the start of it was difficult and it is, but I was kind of playing it carefully. I was getting through it. I was like, oh no, do I like this game? A few hours in, I hit the point where I was like, okay, I actually might turn this game off. But um, looking back at it, it's actually, I thought, one of um, the better parts of the game. You hit a kind of a boss. And I think you said it was a different boss for you. Is this something that happens in the in Dark Souls, some of that? You hit a, a kind of an early boss that just seems so dramatically harder than everything that came before it. Yeah, and you kind of get the feeling this is the game kind of saying if you're not good enough to beat this boss, like you need to be good, you need to be this good now to go further. You know, it's kind of yeah. stopping you in your tracks. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's a, a deliberate design choice in a lot of FromSoft games. Is that right. they will kind of let you explore a bit at the start. Um, you'll normally have you know a couple of approachable bosses maybe there's an option to do things in a different order or maybe there's room to explore but eventually it will kind of funnel to a choke point where it's kind of like a skill check where it's like if you can't get through this boss you're not ready for the rest of the game yet yeah and it's now, mean and it's harsh yeah yeah free, now, what, free. Whether, whether that's you know entirely fair game design or not is a different discussion but that is kind of how it is you know Do you for you it was um father gascoigne right the irish yeah. priest boss <laughs> Yeah, the old petty priest. Really good representation, man. Yeah. Uh, what What's the line he says? He's like beasts all over the shop. You I was like, I was so impressed. I was so impressed by all over the shop. I was like, yeah, that's natural. That's good. They yeah. got a real Irishman voicing this guy. Yeah. Um. That fight just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it for absolutely ages. Um. I actually I played a good bit around Central Yarnum. I fought the cleric beast. The other sort of option. Of, you can do yeah. either one of those first, you know? Yeah, I came to Father Gascoigne first. I didn't even know Claire Beast yeah. existed. I missed, completely missed him somehow. Yeah, if you actually, from the, the central Yarnum lamp, and it's probably getting too technical now, you can feel free to cut this out, but... Um, I won't. From the central Yarnum lamp, the NPC in the window directly in front of you, if you talk to him first, he tells you that you need to get to Cathedral Ward and tells you that the best route is across the bridge. So with with that information, they're kind of funneling players to go down that end of the bridge first. Now you face the cleric beast, and after that, you find out that the bridge is blocked. If you right. go back, if you go back to him, he then tells you, okay, the other way is through the tomb, and the tomb leads you to Father Gascoigne. Uh, but I I, actually, I remember you know those troll characters that hit you with bricks, oh, troll yeah. en- troll enemies like they're not the hardest thing in the game. But when I was a beginner, they scared me, and I think I saw one of them on the bridge, and I was like, I'll go the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't end up hitting the cleric piece at all. Yeah. But for me, it was the second main boss that you have to do, uh, Vicar Amelia. Mm. Or if you're watching any like American YouTuber. I love it so much. They don't know what Vicar is. They did not grow up with Don French's Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> no, and, and it shows. It shows Vicar like, uh, Amelia. Yeah, Vicar. I'm now going to fight Vicar Amelia. But she's like a Vicar who transforms into a, what is she, like a reindeer monster or something? She is class in design. Yeah. Yeah. She's so cool, and the sound design is another thing that's spectacular. Mm, about her shriek is really oh, it's it's yeah. so unholy. But um, that was the boss that I got to, and I couldn't beat her, man. I I could like Father Gascoigne was really hard, but I just, I don't know, like I didn't. He didn't even piss me off, man. I just I just kept like going back and trying it again, and I ended up um, kind of um, 
spamming hit. He turns into a monster for the second half of the fight, and I end up just throwing a bunch of Molotov cocktails at him, and it oh, really, yeah. really fucking uh, pared down his health. But Vicar Amelia, I just stopped me in my tracks. And But looking back on it, that was the point of the game that taught me everything I need to know about playing the game. As much as I, I, it's the point where I enjoyed Bloodborne the least, I started getting pissed off about the, the entire concept of the, like why was some why is this game popular? I had all those thoughts, you know, like why is this game popular? Why would you design a game like this? It's just annoying. I have to run back to this boss every time she beats me, yada yada. But I learned, I learned so many things from fighting that boss. Like I, and and the main thing is to go back on is that's where I learned to play aggressively. And yeah. this isn't this isn't the exact ter- this isn't a turn of phrase that I came up, with, but I've I've since read it online, and I think it's a perfect way of summing up um, the kind of joy of the combat. Uh, of Bloodborne is that you you have to control the fight. So I I was keeping my distance from her. I was like I had I had a long whip weapon. I was like whipping her. I was paring her down, but I, I'd eventually make a mistake. And and the tide started turning as soon as I started controlling the fight. I controlled how far we were from each other. I kept right on her, and then by doing that, I started beating her arms. And I realized oh it matters where you hit bosses. Because I was hitting her arm and I was staggering her, and then I was able to do like powerful attacks on her. So it's actually remarkably good game design. As frustrating it as it is, that I had this singular boss fight, and it, I, had no, I had no prompts on screen that taught me how the game work. Yeah. I just trial by fire. I learned how to play this game by fighting that boss, and the elation when I finally beat her. I think that's kind of a thing that these these games are kind of famous for: is that you die and die and die and die. But you kind of forget all the frustration when it's replaced by the absolute satisfaction of killing a boss that's been giving you trouble. Yeah, when the sort of the the particle effects are up on the screen and the, the <laughs> boss music goes down and you realize your your heartbeat is just pounding in your ear. <laughs> I noticed the thing with playing this game that I've never seen before: my hands would shake. <laughs> like, and, like I and I, I can't like I'm sure you, but I I would like not like not like if I was cold or something. It, it's it's an audio medium, Liam. <laughs> Not like if my hands were cold, but like I'd like start rocking my hands back and forth whenever like I'd get like fully into these boss fights because I just found them so um, tense isn't the right word stressful. Just yeah. I've never seen my, me do that in a game before. I was like, um, why am I why are my hands shaking? But um, they are like exhilarating. The boss fights are some of the best things about the game, and my god, the creature designs. Do you have any like favorite bosses or notable bosses that you kind of want to bring up? Yeah, I think. Some of the more visually interesting ones actually ended up being some of the less interesting fights. Maybe I'm thinking uh, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. you know, like the the one reborn. The yeah, is a boss that's essentially a a giant creature that's made out of this mass of writhing bodies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like yeah, he's like a monster made of corpses or something. Yeah. No, yeah, they're not corpses. They are alive, aren't they? They're still alive. Yeah. Um, and there's this cutscene that introduces him, and I think he kind of descends like he's from the moon or something. <laughs> just, and, it, and then the fight itself is kind of nonsense, but it's it was actually one of the easier fights in the game. Yeah, I for thought. Sure. I, I, yeah, that's was that's was kind of a shame. I really loved, um, and and another thing is great is the names. I loved mm. Rom the Vacuous Spider. Yes, just in um, not one of my favorite boss fights, but just in terms of the design, you you literally jump into the reflection of a moon on a lake, and you end up in this kind of mystical lake zone and just in the distance there is this disgusting spider <laughs> it's not yeah. even it doesn't even it's called a spider the name it's called rom the vacuous spider it doesn't even look it looks like a, i don't know a pill bug or something it's gross yeah and as you get up to it a bunch of small spiders fall it's so like if you have arachnophobia it would be absolutely terrifying yeah but i thought that was super memorable super cool yeah the fun thing with rom is that the first time you get there rom doesn't aggro Rom doesn't attack you. You have to attack them first. I don't think I noticed. I think I was just like, "You're disgusting." I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit yeah. you with my my blade. Yeah, I think from like the the game's lore, it's kind of after you beat Rom is when. I suppose one thing we should say is that the game kind of takes place over the course of one night in this this setting of Yarnum, and as the night wears on, things get darker and weirder. But it's kind of Rom is the last sort of check before you enter the end game. Where things things go really trippy. full Lovecraft. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly there's weird creatures hanging off buildings in the distance and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. That's the thing. It's cool that you brought that up. Uh, and this, again, Bloodborne is my only kind of um, perspective on this. So I'm going to talk about Bloodborne, but I'm sure Dark Souls and, and all those do as well. How the game tells its narrative. 
yeah. is very unique. If I wanted to be simple, it doesn't really tell its narrative, does it? It doesn't tell its story. There's no kind of explanation for anything. Yeah. Or there is, but there's absolutely no guidance on how to find it. Yeah. And there's very little clarity on what is explaining what. You're kind of given the names of a couple of the big players who sort of set up the scenario that your character finds themselves in. Guys like uh, Ludwig and Lawrence and Master Willem. Yeah, and but they, kind of, they were, to me, they were just named. I didn't know who they were or what they didn't. At that's, least I, that's what I was going to say is that you can very easily, and I know I did, just get through an entire playthrough and just be like, I get the sort of story that they were trying to tell, but I couldn't tell you what the plot was, you know? Yeah, and I yeah, I completely agree, but I don't necessarily think it's a negative either. No, no, absolutely I think not. It's, I think like, I've since... Since finishing Bloodborne, I've become obsessed with it, and I've been watching a lot of content creators who've, who've mm. been clearly just obsessed with this with this game for the last seven years. Vati Vidya. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. he like is he like a famous one? Yeah, he's he's the big guy. He's a big name in it. Um, he's the he, big Bloodborne guy. Yeah, his stuff is excellent. He kind of pulls together a lot of the item descriptions and a lot of like one line from a cutscene here that might explain something else, and pieces it all together into a sort of more digestible format. It's it's well worth a look if you're interested in the the lore of the game. Yeah, but that's it. Now, since finishing it, I actually know more about this. I know more about the story from watching YouTube videos than I did actually playing the game. But yeah. that doesn't take away from my experience of playing the game and just what you absorb from the setting and the, the enemy design. And I love the way um, every item you pick up has detailed like lore attached. You can read item descriptions. And that's where you pick up um, clues to the story. And I just think it's so organic and interesting. And I don't think every game should be done this way. But I think it is absolutely a good thing that these guys are out there kind of telling their stories this way in like a really video game only kind of way. I think it's super compelling personally. Yeah, for sure. And it is absolutely like a way of telling a narrative that would only work in this sort of interactive medium. Yeah. But I didn't like, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew, <laughs> I knew I was in the streets of Yarnum hunting monsters. I knew yep. there was kind of Lovecraftian, eldritch gods behind this whole thing but yeah. like when i've killed one of the final bosses and it said nightmare vanquish i was like oh is it was i vanquishing a nightmare <laughs> yeah i did it <laughs> i guess i did it but i yeah i was just being drawn through more than the story itself it's the level design is what was bringing me through the game kind of carrying me for because i love obviously um stuff like metroid as i know you do as well resident evil mm-hmm. like zelda dungeon so i'm a big fan of interconnected um level design interconnected worlds and Yarnum and its surrounding areas is just brilliant man the geography of the level design how you can end up like in a new area but you can see the old areas there's like verticality yeah. to Yarnum. it's just it it makes sense like it, it could be a real place it was uh, oh man i ate it up yeah it's it's something they i think they do in a lot of their games where they they put a lot of emphasis on the world rather than just having individual levels it's sort of at least vaguely interconnected world now like demon souls had like a hub and you teleported out to different areas but since then there they have kind of had interconnected areas but i think bloodborne is the one where they kind of nailed that on the best for me yeah there's there's a bit when you're i don't know maybe coming up on around the halfway through mark depending on what stuff you've done in what order um where you go into the the forbidden woods area and if you hunt around there you find a secret path and you get through like a poison swamp and it's an absolute fucking nightmare and you find yes. a ladder and it's sort of a a snake eater-esque just long ladder <laughs> yeah. that, you, that you eventually crest and you find yourself back in central yarn and back at the at the building where you started the game yeah the whole game is looped right around you right back to the start yeah. and it just it really draws together the sense of the the whole world of the setting you know yeah, hundred percent, and that, that was like a really cool moment. But that's something I knew by reputation as well, uh, more so from Dark Souls. I I know that their level design eventually loops around on itself, and it's always like a big moment. You feel like because you feel like you've traveled so far, so it's so kind of you're, the the moment where you're like, oh my god, I'm back here, I'm back to the start. Yeah, I will, by way of criticism, kind of say that the final areas of Bloodborne are in a kind of um, vague kind of I don't know what is it, man, a nightmare dimension or something. Yeah, and while they're absolutely amazing in design they're really cool i think as soon as you start going to those places it kind of loses the interconnected world the kind of feel of it you don't feel like you're kind of um traveling through a place anymore um yeah. you you kind of feel like you're warping to 
magic area. What I, like, I, I've watched lore videos and I'm still not sure what the, what the Nightmare Realm is supposed to be or whatever it's called. I think Shadow Realm. <laughs> the, the, the Nightmare Frontier is supposed to be like, like a border plane between the real world and like the world that the sort of the Lovecraftian horrors inhabit. Um, it's supposed to be like where they were doing research to try and contact the, the great ones and harness their powers or something. It was all just a hand wavy way of saying that they wanted to have like big spooky nightmare castles. And they did. Oh, very much had big spooky nightmare castles. My favorite area in the entire game is, give me a second. Do I get the name? You can do this. Oh man. Uh, Hem- Hemwick. Yep. Fuck man. Hen- <laughs> what was it called? Henwick Charnel Lane? Hemwick Charnel Lane, yeah. Hemwick Charnel Lane. That was my favorite place. It really reminded me of Resident Evil 4. Yeah. It was time. really gothic village and it had like really kind of creepy enemies. Um, another one, uh, Castle Canehurst. Mm. Yeah. Which is completely optional. Both those places are completely optional. The yep. amount of the, the confidence from software had to lock so much content in this game behind optional stuff is crazy. I wonder how long the game is without doing all this optional stuff, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I think you could probably knock it out in a couple of hours if yeah. you're on if you're on a new game plus run, we'll say, and you have you've carried over your equipment and your levels and you're just doing the strict critical path, you could probably knock it out in ten hours. But um Kanehurst Castle, Castle Kanehurst is this huge gothic castle that has these disgusting bugs with blood sacks crawling outside it but then when you get inside it goes full ghost story shit doesn't it it's like yeah. it's like sad women with knives who are appearing and at you and it's just really like the, the the atmosphere is really cool that's the thing about this game this game came out in 2015 but it's going to be timeless its art style is so good it's so striking that it's not going it's not it's aged so much better than a lot of games from 2015 and i think uh, there was moments in that game where i'd walk into places like a Canehurst and just the, the main hall of the castle and just be like, whoa, for a game in 2015, this is like amazing. The attention to detail, it feels so lived in and real and therefore unnerving because it's such a horrible setting in terms of like, yeah. like if there's any video game I do, I wouldn't want to get sucked into, you know, I, my, my, my number one was always, I'd want to go to Silent Hill, you know, that would, that, I, I wouldn't survive that, Kev. No, I, I, I'd be very scared. But now I think I really wouldn't. I really feel sorry for anyone in the Bloodborne universe. Anyone who lives in Yarnum. First of all, they have a church who's like giving them magic blood that, that's healing them, but it's also turning them into monsters. That's bad. But it's just a scary place, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think Pyramid Head wouldn't last five minutes on the streets of Yarnum. I'd like to see that in some kind of boxing ring scenario. Oh, I want to see Pyramid Head fighting uh, Vicar Emilia. Yeah, you just know like some dead by daylight dev somewhere has just got like a little <laughs> little idea mark over his head. <laughs> There's um awesome DLC for this game as well, which I think. Oh yeah. Now yeah. I, I I know this is a thing for you as well, because we were speaking before we were recording, but I have to to my shame, I did not finish the DLC. Yeah. And I believe you didn't either, right? Yep. Um, why? Why is that Kev? Why is that? Because I fundamentally don't believe that that last boss is actually beatable. <laughs> I think I think anyone who's put up a YouTube clip of them winning that fight has edited it. It's fake. I don't think that boss can be beaten. I looked it up and I was so impressed with some... I, I literally found a compilation video of people fighting the boss. Uh, the boss is called the, Orf- the Orphan of Kos. Co- Orphan of Kos. One of the best designs. You walk onto a beach and there is some kind of dead... Is it a god? Yeah. Lying on the beach and this disgusting creature crawls out of its womb and it's like humanoid, but it's like dragging its placenta, is it? And it uses the placenta as a fucking bludgeon and starts hitting you with it and it makes the most horrible sounds. Look it up on YouTube for anyone who's interesting. The Orphan of Ghosts is one of the coolest fucking monster designs you'll ever see for anything, but I completely agree with you. I couldn't beat him, Kev. I couldn't couldn't do it like and i i'm you know the reason why you're on here i'm pro gamer boy i got mad gaming skills and i couldn't do it and i'm so impressed with all the people i saw um streaming who beat him i was just like well done that is a that, that if you're a gamer who's beaten the orphan of coast that is a badge of honor in my yeah, opinion for sure um but other than that it is a truly excellent dlc what quality like yeah it's now obviously you know it depends on 
how well you do as to how long it'll take you, but it is, a, you know, a significant chunk of content there. It's a couple of areas. It's, um, you know, again, similar high standard of level design, even has like an optional boss built in that you can go back and, and tango with. I actually didn't beat him either. I know. I did Lawrence, get him. Lawrence, the first vicar. Yep. Oh, uh, he's like a fire beast. I couldn't yep. beat him either. I had two bosses. See, my, my excuse is like, because I will replay this game. Like, I, mm-hmm. this, I did, playing this game was one of those moments and I was just like, oh, almost exhausted. I was like, oh, I'm going to love this forever, aren't I? Yeah. Oh, God, this is going to be like a thing now. I'm going to bring it up at house parties when I'm <laughs> when I'm drunk. I'm going to be fucking talking about Bloodborne, but I, I, I will play it again. In fact, I've actually made little secret plans myself. Ooh. Halloween, Halloween this year. Around oh. Halloween, I'm going to play, I'm going to replay Bloodborne. I think it's such a good Halloween game. Um, and then my excuse is like, oh, I didn't beat those two bosses, so I'd have something to look forward to. Yeah. go back something to, something to aspire to but actually i was actually because I, I i had such good impressions from playing the theme for the first time and the very end of it getting stuck on those two bosses was actually starting to sour my experience of the game so i actually put it down just so i, I could keep the positive um feeling i have for the game because i i don't think i've ever fought a boss i, th- I think is as hard as uh, the orphan yeah. Is he, in, in, you're more in tune with this, but is he regarded as one of the harder bosses in the Soulsborne franchises, like from Dark Souls and other games? Or, or, or am I going to come, if I play those games eventually, will I come up to fuckers even harder than him? Yeah, well, I mean, like speaking from my own experience, like I don't think there was anything in any of the other games oh, that, ca- that caused me like so much rage. There's the, the final boss of Sekiro is in that sort of ballpark. But in general, no, he's just a different level. I know now that I've said this on, on uh, you know, a podcast that's going to be recorded and put out into the world, there's going to be people just like, yeah, just beat him one-handed, like beat him with a Dance Dance Revolution, man. It's no big <laughs> but I don't know what it is. Maybe if I went back to it, I, I, I'd stand a, ch- a better chance. But I couldn't I just... beat him, Kev. I, I couldn't. I, and this thing about Bloodborne, um, I... I felt I was getting better. Like I said early on, I felt I was getting better as it went on. Like I found the first half of the game more difficult than the second half because like the bosses are, do get harder, but my skill was increasing. And I just found him so beyond uh, everything that had come before. Yeah. But um, just to continue talking about bosses, because that's like one of the you know funnest, coolest things about this game. Um, the DLC has what I think is the best boss in the game. Ludwig. Um, Ludwig. What's it called? Yeah. Ludwig the Holy Blade. Yeah. He is this... What a, he's like a former hunter. He's like an ancient hero guy, right? Yeah. He's like an old hunter, but he's been transformed into a horrible, misshapen horse monster. Yeah. With a bunch of appendages. Yeah. <laughs> but halfway through the fight, he kind of he regains his sanity. Almost, he still looks like a misshapen horse monster, but he regains his sanity and he picks up his old sword, and suddenly he's standing upright and fighting you with a sword. And the music yeah. kicks on. It's this big operatic thing. And I think in execution and in concept, I think it's probably the high point of the entire game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and probably the best track on the soundtrack as well. Yeah, I've been listening to it when I walk to the shop. <laughs> Just to spice up my life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, interestingly, the, you mentioned he sort of regains his humanity a bit because he actually, the boss like changes his damage resistances when he goes in that second phase because all beasts in the game are weak to serrated weapons and fire. When he kind of regains his humanity, he loses those weaknesses, which I I mean, makes it harder. I love that. That is so, that is so cool. But that actually raises a thing. I almost forgot. I wanted to talk about is I've played through this game once. And from talking to you and from going online, the amount of content in that game that I missed, (laughs) that I didn't know about. And like that's like that that's just a little fact you said there, but that's such a cool little detail to kind of use the game mechanics to kind of convey that Ludwig is regaining his humanity. Oh man, I love that. I'm actually so excited talking about that. That's so yeah. that's so clever. But you were telling me about whole side quests I missed. You can help people, you can find people and tell them to go f- take shelter in the chapel, and I didn't do any of that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a a little mini side quest that runs through sort of the first two thirds of the game, where as you mentioned, like you can talk to a lot of NPCs by just approaching their door or the window. Normally the ones you can interact with are marked with kind of a red lantern. So anytime you see that color, you know it's worth going up and having a look. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't I was going up to any door and check if there's a red lantern it means you can talk to someone through the door, is it? Yeah. I'm so yeah. unobservant. So generally it. when you beat uh an area's boss, if you go back through that area and talk to the NPCs, if it's safe for them to travel, 
you could send them to one of two locations, right? Um, the the chapel or the the clinic at the start, and yeah. then depending on which NPCs you send where, they will sort of there'll be different outcomes. Different NPCs will react to each other in different ways. You'll get different items, different power ups off it, um, and it kind of runs the whole length through the first sort of two thirds of the game. Unfortunately, by the time I brought this up to you when you were playing the game, it was kind of immediately after it was too late to do anything about it's it. It's Rom, the vacuous spider, to bring it's, him up again, mainly because I, well, I, I like saying his, or her name. I like saying her name. Yeah. But yeah, it's after Rom. You can't do it anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's another reason why I'd love to play the game again, because I want to do the stuff that I miss, because there's a character in the game called uh, Eileen, I believe mm. her name is. She's like yeah. another hunter. She She's a hunter who hunts hunters. Yes. Hunters, hunters, hunt monsters, and she hunts hunters who have gone crazy. Yeah. And um, eventually I ended up fighting her because she'd gone crazy, but I was looking up online, if you do more with her quest, you actually mm-hmm. don't fight her. You fight the guy she's hunting, and apparently he's one of the hardest bosses in the game. Or He's not a boss, but he's one of the hardest fights. And I, I missed that entirely. I'd love to do that. Yeah, there's actually, and midway through that quest line as well, you get to team up with Eileen to hunt hunt a hunter. You do a two-on-one fight against a a crazed hunter with her. Um, It's good fun. That last sort of mini-boss that you fight instead of her, if you finish that quest line, is one of the tougher fights in the whole game. Really, yeah? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Fighting other hunters is um, fun slash challenging because they have the same skills as you and they have the same rules. So they're, it's almost like they're playing with the same mechanics you are. So there's a mechanic in the game where you you have you have your weapon, which can be a variety of different weapons, but uh, you also have a gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike most other games where a gun would be a long range weapon, it's actually not. It's the, the, what how it works is if an enemy is like winding up an attack, if you shoot them at right the, the the correct time, you can stagger them and go in for like a visceral attack that takes off a load of health. And it might be one of the most satisfying mechanics I've ever mm-hmm. experienced in a game. But hunters can do it to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so disheartening when you get hit by one. You get hit by one. Yeah. Uh, fun little tidbit on that. Did you know? I love tidbits. Yeah. Did you know when fighting an NPC hunter or in PvP, if you're fighting against another player, uh, like you said, you can you can parry with the gun to stagger someone out of an attack, but you can also parry with the gun to stagger someone out of healing. Ooh. So if they're trying to use an item to heal, just shoot them. Just shoot them. Just get like the in real life. Yeah, just like in real life, yeah. <laughs> That's why you're not allowed outside hospitals anymore. <laughs> I think, I, like, I want to go back and I, I want to fight that boss. I want to help. I want to bring people to the chapel. I want to see all that. I want to do all the quest lines I haven't seen. And I have a ton of respect for how um, vague and mysterious they kind of made a lot of the things in this game. So it, it really feels like you're, you're discovering things. And that kind of works in a very kind of, in, 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 a, in a communitive way as well, where the community might tell people, you know, you might yeah. go online and someone be like, oh, you, if you go here, you can do this. And there's a, a huge sense of discovery. But there are a couple of things in the game that I wish they didn't, they weren't so vague with. Because yeah. I played through that entire game not knowing what Insight did. Yeah. In, insight is like you gain insight from whenever you discover a boss, whenever you kill a boss, uh, you can get items that give you insight. And Insight is a number that goes up. And there's a shop. Uh, there's a shop where you can spend inside his currency um, mm-hmm. to buy special things. And it also uses the multiplayer mechanic, which we haven't really talked about, where you can summon other players if they're playing Bloodborne and they can come in and help you or you they can come in and fight you, whatever you want. And I thought that's what Insight did. It wasn't until I finished the game. I put so many hours into it, went online and realized that the more insight your character has, he starts seeing like the quote unquote true world. Yeah. I had no idea. That is such an interesting idea. And I played through the whole game not knowing it was a thing. I thought I was seeing monsters clinging to the side of buildings in the, in the latter half of that game because that's what happens in the latter half of that game. I didn't realize I was accumulating insight and I was starting to see things that I, I couldn't see before. Yeah, I think the, the, in the lore of the game, it's kind of that Rom, the vacuous spider. which is. I, I love it's, that we're, we're managing to bring up Rom several times. And that, it's that's just a, a lot of fun to say. It's a lot of fun to say. <laughs> I think Rom is kind of the one who's maintaining the illusion that's hiding all the the weird shit that's yeah. going on so when you kill rom the illusion drops and that's when you can start seeing like the like i said the monsters hanging off buildings and stuff but earlier in the game if you if you amass enough insight you can start seeing hints of things earlier on um also if you get like 40 insight at any one time the music in the hunter's dream the, the sort of the hub world will change the only reason I know that, because I'm really unobservant, because I would have had, because I stopped spending my insight as the game went down, because I didn't really yeah. need it. So I actually, by the end of that game, I had a lot of insight. 
Um, but I'm so unobservant, I didn't notice that the music changed. Hunter's Dream is the hub where you can return to at any point in the game where you can buy, you can level up um, and you can buy stuff. Uh, so it's kind of like you, it's kind of like your safe zone. You keep returning there. But I never noticed the music change. And the only reason I, I did know, I do know it now is because I've been using the Hunter's Dream music to fall asleep. <laughs> and, I, and I discovered that there's two different versions of it. And I was like, oh, I never noticed that actually playing yeah. the game. But now, now, I, now I notice it. But is there any other um, notable moments for you, like memorable moments? I, I think one of the cool things about it is like you kind of make your own moments. Like I, I managed to, I'm going to manage to bring up Rom again. Like for me, <laughs> one of my mem- most memorable things was fighting that Rom fight because I technically killed her on my first try, but we killed each other. I got really greedy and I ran it, went in for one last hit to kind of finish her off and we both killed each other at the same time. And that's just like, it was, I was triumphant, but I was also kind of like, uh, you know, that's, you know it's not a clean victory i think you kind of get to make your own moments like that but do you have any like really kind of memorable moments from that game um yeah i think one thing i really like about it is is that the design is quite sort of modular you know and that there's a lot of as we said a lot of stuff is optional or you can do things in different order you know um and i think the the martyr logarius fight was prick yeah, that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of my white whale for a while. I, I got to him and was like, "Nope, can't do it." And I kind of went away and I did other stuff and I did like most of the main game and I did most of the DLC and then I came back when like over leveled and then finally put him down. I thought and, he was one of the better bosses in the game. Yeah, for sure, really good design. He's like a king-looking fella who's sitting up on a on a castle roof in the snow and. And uh, yeah, he shoots magic at you. He he has a sword. He's yeah. But what I really liked about that boss was I I really I felt the arc of progression very acutely of me getting good at fighting him because he seems so unbeatable when you start. Yeah, he's so fast. He hits you with so many different things. But I actually there's some boss like I I if I put on the game now and had to fight like Ludwig again, I'm not confident I could beat him in 20 goals. You know, yeah. I felt like I got I got one really lucky run and I and it worked, but. But I think if I turn, if I had to fight um, Martyr Lagarius now, I think I could, I think I could beat him one or two goals. I got really good at fighting him, and that's a really um, joyous thing about that game. You know, for as much as it kind of brings you down and it stamps out your confidence by dying so much, it really makes you feel skilled at it, and it's, it feels good to be good at it. For sure, yeah. So I mean, we've kind of gushed about the game for quite a bit now, and I know we we both love it and rate it quite highly, but there are issues with this there's a couple of things that sort of came up why, when you, chatting. why are you why are you coming on this podcast and just bringing down the tone man what's that about <laughs> i thought we were video wanted... <laughs> game journalists i thought this was criticism <laughs> no i just want to gush about a game that i played yeah i like when the spider go boom i loved when the spider went boom man that was my favorite mm. part i think i know what you're going to say though is it about the um healing yes i yeah. knew it it's my least favorite thing in the game yeah um so basically in a lot of the souls games or the dark souls games anyway um you have a finite number of healing items you can increase the number you carry at any time and every time you die that counter gets reset you get restocked you get ready to go again in bloodborne and originally in demon souls healing items are consumables that you can run out of yeah you can hold 20 of them but you can you can have a box full of them as well that's not on your person, but yeah, you can eventually run out if you're healing too much. And, you know, whatever about having to to stop and grind and like earn experience to try and level up, having to grind to earn currency to buy healing items to then go on and try do what you're trying to do is very, very, is at best frustrating, at worst kind of dog shit. Yeah, I think it's comfortably the worst thing about the game. It, it It's so it sits so awkwardly with the rest of the game design philosophy of Bloodborne. The fact that you have a finite amount of healing items. So like you said, like whenever I ran out, it just felt like the game was wasting my time because you can't, you can't like, unless you're a first time player anyway, you can't win unless you have um, healing items. They're called blood vials. But um, yeah, it just felt like the game was wasting my time. I had to go to a place and just start killing enemies until I collected enough um, money to buy more blood vials. I just slowed everything down. And I hate games that force you to grind in general they kind of force you to go farm for items i just i it's it's not something that i enjoy um but i'm playing elden ring at the moment and that has like an item system that i would just love to just dissect it out of that game and put it in bloodborne and then yeah. bloodborne would be just even better 
Yeah. So if if Miyazaki is listening when Bloodborne Two inevitably does get announced, just do that. Just do, do that, that, man. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's the that's the worst thing. But um, I still don't think you should bring up negatives, please. Okay. okay. <laughs> no. Um. I I think we're we're almost cool to wrap up. But yeah, I just kind of want to re-emphasize how in love with this game is and but a really fun part of it for me playing it was like we were in constant you and i were in constant communication while i was playing it because a i found it very difficult and very confusing <laughs> and diff- and i just plain old difficult in, in terms of navigation and in combat but i think it's very vital with these games to have someone to vent to yeah if, if martyr lagarius is killing me 12 times it was very cool to message you and you got kind of going oh yeah i know he's a bastard you know just yeah. There's a really good sense of community. I mean, there's really cool multiplayer aspects in this game. You can see other people running around while you're playing. You can touch bloodstains that shows you the last moments of players' lives. So there's really cool multiplayer elements, but I do think it's just so cool to have someone who kind of knows <laughs> what it's like, you know, and kind of yeah. and give you advice. I I, ne- I never felt like felt like cheating when you gave me advice. It felt like a completely viable and perhaps the funnest way to play this game was to have you know someone to share notes with. Yeah, there's like there's very few games where I would say like if you're struggling with something, you know, go online, look it up. But in something like this, it's it, the community has run into this issue before, and there's going to be someone, someone has experience before. Someone's going to tell you what you need to do. They're going to give you the lore, the background behind it. You know, yeah. It's, the community, there's so much information, there's so much love for these games worldwide there's like there's wikis upon wikis of details built up and just all of it is worth diving into yeah it's it, like it really felt like i was diving into just a passionate fan base that's been going on for seven years and i'm just so new to it and i feel foolish for waiting so long to play this game but at the same time really glad that it's in my life now you know that i have it now because I'm, I'm really i really mean it it's one of my favorite games of all time i really connect with it and um Thank you for coming on a podcast and talking to me about it. Absolutely no problem, mate. Thank you very much for having me. But ha- hold on a second. Oh. There's actually one more thing I want to talk about. Dun, dun, dun. You and I are currently playing Elden Ring, Correct. which is the game of the moment. It's um, the big release that came out there. Well, at the time of recording, I think this game is... How long has it been out now, Kev? Over a week? Two uh, weeks? Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> Time has lost all meaning since it came out, to be honest. So it's my... It, uh, I, it, just because it's in vogue right now, I just want to talk about it uh, a little bit. Um, because A, because I'm loving it, but yeah, you know, it's, it's the popular game. It's my second ever Soulsborne game. Obviously, I've just played Bloodborne, now I'm going on to Elden Ring, but this would be like the seventh for you. How are you finding it? I love it. <laughs> Do you? I love it. I love it with a caveat or... It frustrates the absolute fuck out of me with a different caveat, you know? I'm, um, I'm shocked how hard it is because people online, reviewers are saying this is one of the easier. Uh, it's, like, it's obviously going to be difficult. That's the nature of yeah. the, the, these games. I'm finding it harder than Bloodborne, man. Yeah, me too. And I think a lot of that is how you and I are approaching it in that we are both very much approaching it as a single player game. And right. I, think, I think a lot of people who are playing co op for these big boss fights are having a much easier time of it. Adding in a co-op player increases the boss's health, so it makes the fight last a bit longer. But just by virtue of having more targets in there for it to hit, you know, you can distract the boss a bit. It makes things easier. So the impression I'm getting is that people who are playing co-op are having a lot easier time with it. And I'm not saying that using co-op is in some way, you know, cheesing or cheating, because there is this sort of sort of vaguely insidious narrative online of you know that there's a right way to play a souls game it's not that at all um do whatever you need to to get the boss to die yeah for sure but i do think that approaching it in the way that we have as this sort of single player game still using like you know the in-game summons or whatever it does naturally just make things that little bit harder there's there's like we're talking about like vicar amelia and father gascoigne what these kind of uh, moments where the game stops you early on and like you, you have to be able to beat this boss yeah. when an Elden Ring was ridiculous Godric the Grafted is that his name? Yep. I thought he was as hard as anything in Bloodborne man he completely kicked my ass for about an hour and a half yeah I, I nearly had a breakdown with him to be honest. <laughs> but messaging you at the time and the same thing that happened with you and uh, Rom the Vacuous Spider happened with me and Godric where I got his health bar to zero at the same time that he killed me except they didn't give me the win no. <laughs> no. And then like 10 minutes later, it happened again. 
Um, but what oh, I will God. say in, in, in vague defense of that is that it's different to like the, the Vicar Amelia or the father Gascoigne fight in that Godric isn't a choke point. In you can go Ring. This is open world, which would be the yeah. big distinction between uh, this and Bloodborne is that you can venture off wherever you It's very Breath of the Wild, I would say, would be its most um, similar cousin. Yeah, like there's there's two other massive areas and two other bosses you could go after instead of Godric. Now, in my experience, those areas and bosses have been harder. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. But um, you do have the option. And there's, there's you know, countless optional dungeons and little side quests and things you can do to, to level up and then come back and try them again. So it's not quite the same in the way of being a choke point, but I do agree with you that I found it about as hard as anything else I'd faced in one of their yeah. games. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And like playing Bloodborne has opened up a floodgate where I kind of want to play all the, I want to play Dark Souls. I want yeah. to play Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I, I, this is, yeah. I'm feeling my gaming of 2022 is going to be very um from software centric because i'm just uh, this is like i feel like i've discovered something new to love and like when i continue doing the podcast with the lads we always begin our episodes with what are you playing i just have a feeling i'm constantly going to be <laughs> just like i'm playing another dark souls or whatever yeah because i just want to play them now man but i'm thoroughly enjoying um elden ring even though yeah it's so hard man it's uh, it's yeah. so hard. Yeah, I, I am enjoying it as well. I think I, I might have been a little harsh on it earlier. Um, I am definitely enjoying it. it. It is, even even the bits that are frustrating me, I'm impressed with the design of it. It's brilliant, brilliantly yeah. designed game. Uh, unfortunately, I'm playing it on PlayStation 4 because I'm a player, but I don't have a PlayStation 5. And um, yeah, there's a lot of technical issues on the PS4, unfortunately. I, it really feels like a next-gen game, and it's the first time I'm getting proper PS5 envy. I really want one now. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting back to the the topic of today's chat is that that Bloodborne has you know some performance issues at launch as well that were subsequently right. patched out. Um, Bloodborne had decade long loading screens. <laughs> yeah, this my PS4 version of Elden Ring. Like yeah. if you're dying on the same boss over and over again, the loading isn't that long. But when you're dying over and over again, the loading is just aggravatingly yeah. long. And I just really wish I was playing it on PS5. Yeah. In Bloodborne, the, the issue would be, you know, if you want to fast travel to another area, you sort of, you fast travel from where you are to the Hunter's Dream and then from the Hunter's Dream to where you want to go. And if you put in like a, an honest to God, like two and a half minute long load screen both times. Yeah. That's really going to break up the flow, you know? And they patched that out, did they? They fixed it, yeah, along the line. That's pretty cool that they kept um, tinkering with the game. Well, I think the product they have now is like yeah without hyper like no a lot of hyperbole just one of the finest games i've ever played and um it inspired me it made me really happy um about the medium of games i was kind of like this is this is just great design what a wonderful game what a wonderful strange gothic horror blood soaked adventure yeah well listen on the box listen I'm, I'm i'm glad my literal years of nagging have paid off anyway we've we've finally gotten you on board <laughs> i know and now and now i'm getting like really angry playing video games like I, there's a part of me just kind of like why am i playing these games they're making mm. me angry but there's uh, the like that's what they're famous for and i kind of always another thing that always turned me off kev was like i'm not saying all the fan base are shitheads Sure, but there, but, but there is. Yeah. You're not saying that, but you're thinking it. <laughs> I'm thinking it and recording myself saying it. No, there's a kind of um, a vibe with the fan base of. Uh, I think a lot of um, from software fans are using the games to become um, the bullies that bullied them in school. <laughs> <'Cause there's, laughs> I was there's a very <laughs> what? There's a very uh, jockish attitude. To like, oh, just get good, you know, get good, as, uh, get good at yeah. the game and stuff like that. Well, while these, like I said earlier on, the game, is, 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 these games are such good, great potential for community and kind of learning from each other. But so much of them are shitheads who are just kind of like, oh, you're not playing the game properly. Of you, you can't even beat this boss. I beat him in one try. And yeah. for years, that was one of the other things that turned me off wanting to play Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Um, you know, so many cool things have bad fan bases. All right, but that's the thing. It's never. From the outside, it seems like a whole fan base, but it's always um, a vocal minority with these things. Yeah, yeah, it's the same as you know any of these fan bases that take a sort of nasty turn. It's always usually just the worst ones tend to be the loudest. You look at like yeah. I don't know Steven Universe or Undertale or any of those. You always end yeah, up with yeah, Rick and Morty. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. Star Wars. Yeah. Let's just name more. No. Um, what other things do people like? I don't know. <laughs> Comic I books. 
yeah, bad, bad fans, bad fan base there as well. But I would say, um, like, just to kind of finish off, like, this is, I genuinely think this is one of the, obviously, all the episodes we've done, this is one of the finest games I've talked about on this podcast. And if anyone is kind of like me for years, that they might, that they might be kind of uh, turned off by the, like, you want, we only want to go home and relax and you don't want to play a really challenging game or maybe the fan base have turned you off. I would wholeheartedly recommend because despite its reputation of being hard bloodborne is actually more more so than hard really fun yeah like top to bottom a really fun game and one of the biggest things i kind of learned from it uh, that i have a um i think i supposed about it for years it's that it's not artificially hard at all it's challenging but it's fair in its own way yeah and uh yeah i guess you won you finally got me to play it and now (laughs) i'm like and i'm like a big fan excellent yeah it's a slippery slope from here to you just uh no given out to scrubs on reddit but <laughs> hopefully you'll keep your worst instincts in check i won't good i'll probably just um yell at my girlfriend yeah yeah that's probably because, because i can't beat a boss there's a boss in Elden ring at the moment kev i can't beat him he's a gigantic general on a small horse yeah and uh you have you fought him uh no but i just if he's in Elden ring i probably hate him already so <laughs> oh, i can't beat him man i had to, I had to leave. anyway i'm sure i'll talk about Elden ring at some point Kev, thank you so much for joining me. Did you have fun on Hey Look Listen? Uh, was it fun being on this side of it? It was, yeah. It's a shame I'll never be able to listen to this episode, but I oh, enjoyed man, being here. I, I, I've really enjoyed doing this podcast over the last year, but my least favorite thing about it is having to listen to my own voice when I'm editing and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't No person you. should have to listen to their own voice doing anything. Agreed. Um, but thank you. This was super fun. Um, thank you for getting me into Bloodborne, but also thank you for coming on this episode to talk about Bloodborne. And... Hey, everyone, share with friends. Thanks for listening. I was Liam Sheehan. I was joined by Kev O'Carroll. This is where we say goodbye, Kev. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Kev. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.